It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. We've got a great one today. Our special guest is radio broadcaster and writer and artist Hillary Ramo. She has this book. It's called The Hillary Ramo Show Transcripts. It's conversations on technology, time travel, ETs, 9-11, and consciousness that she recorded over the years uh, during her radio career. She's now moved on and more of a focus on art. But she is a, an inspiration for me, and she's a really fascinating person and a lovely person, and she's got a great speaking voice. So she's so great to listen to, and she's super smart. So uh, she's an inspiration to me, and I had her on my podcast. I loved it that she agreed to come back to uh, Guys Guys Radio for our KCA broadcast. This is Guys Guys Radio, the place where, where men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. It all started with my novel, A Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's a rom-com, and we started uh, blogging then about um, romance, and then I started doing uh, Guys Guys Radio, and we had a lot of relationship experts on, and then we started opening things up, and I got a lot of metaphysical guests and channelers and spiritual teachers and authors and sports people and entertainers, and and now we're here we are on KCAA in Southern California. I'm still broadcasting the show from from my home base in New York City, but my family and I are moving to Southern California later this year. And uh, we'll be talking about that also because there's such a difference between, we're looking at San Diego right now, but there's such a difference between New York City and Southern California. Yet there are some similarities. You know, people are people and people respond to different environments. And, uh, you know, you really get a sticker shock though when you come from New York, you go out to Southern California or you go from Southern California, you come here to New York, it's like, boom, really in your face. So we'll get into all of that as the weeks go by. But right now I'm still in New York City, but I love Southern California. I can't wait to move out there. And uh, I know it's got a lot of traffic and there's a, it has its own set of issues in California. But believe me, New York City's got a handful of issues also. Um, I've noticed over the years, just traveling around the city, if you take mass transit, whether it be a bus or the subway, there's the, the buses aren't too bad, but the, the subway, my goodness gracious, there there's delays, it's stinky down there, it says people are depressed, they have to wait. There's all kinds of problems we've had with the subway system has gotten worse and worse over the years. And I think what's happened is, and this is just my conjecture, is that they've just kicked the can, just kept kicking the can ahead and not really addressing the fundamental infrastructure problems that the subway system has in New York City. And when that happens, it gets worse and then it becomes a bigger cost. And they're trying to sort things out now. And then what happens is you get less service and a higher price and people get really upset. Now on weekends... Weekends, it's a crapshoot in New York. You don't know what subways are running on what lines and when and where or if they're running. Sometimes you don't get, there's no local service or whatever. And when you go out at night, even during the week, it's like the some of the trains that you would take to local stops, they stop at like 9, 10 o'clock. It's like, this is ridiculous. New York's a 24-hour city. But that's what's happened to New York. So I'm actually, my family and I, we're looking, we're looking to get out and we're looking for a move. We've been here a long time. My son, he's five and he's like, he likes it when we go down to our place at the Jersey. Shore. He doesn't. He's not big on the city. He likes the suburbs. He likes the beach, and he loved it when we went out to Southern California. Now, of course, he was out at the theme parks, and uh, you know, every day we went to a different park, so he loved that. But uh, he's more chill, and so I think he's gonna he's gonna really love it out there, and we're looking forward to it also. So, anyhow, we're gonna have a really provocative conversation because Hillary Ramo is a fascinating person, and she's talked with experts who have kind of 
you know, diverging points of view on events like 9-11 about how ETs may or may not be integrated in a, into our culture and society, the use of time travel, travel technology, uh, a lot of technology that um, has kind of been possibly held back, that we're not using it yet, uh, and things are kind of dripping out there in terms of uh, upgrading a lot of the technology. You know, when you think about it, planes, uh, you know, in the last 50 years, has anything changed with riding a plane except it's more painful than ever to do it? air travel. You would think with all the other improvements we've gotten in other areas that planes and cars and, and rail would be so much better. But instead, there's more of a focus on, you know, fixing the infrastructure because there's so many problems there. But anyhow, we'll get into a lot of provocative subjects. It's going to be free-flowing. Hillary Ramo is our guest, and she has talked to some incredible people, including people like David Icke, who uh, he talks a lot about healing stuff, but also about um, uh, bloodlines in terms of who's kind of running the show here on planet Earth. And it's provocative uh, uh, stuff that makes you think. And that's all I ask. I want to bring guests onto the show that have our listeners think and say, hey, what about this? Is this real? Is this for real? Or is this nonsense or whatever? And you make your own decisions. But I'm going to just bring it to you and then leave it up to you. And hopefully you'll get some new perspectives, things where you may scratch your head and say, hmm, I wonder about that. And maybe do some more of your own research. So anyhow, that's what we do on Guys Guys Radio. We're going to be back in a moment with our special guest, Hillary Ramo. Welcome to the show and looking forward to it. And we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny. And as I mentioned to you, I have a very special guest today who is actually an uh, inspiration to me as a, uh, as a new member of the media, I guess. Uh, her name is Hillary Ramo. She's been out there for a while. She has a beautiful book called The Hillary Ramo Show Transcripts. Um, her radio career began way back, way back when, in 2005 on a local terrestrial radio in upstate New York. It expanded online radio markets as a syndicated program. In 2008, she launched the Hillary Ramo Show on Achieve Radio, and it became the number one network with millions of listeners worldwide. And she's been a very popular female voice for alternative media. Uh, she's inspired many people to understand the importance of better quality information. And she really uh, creates awareness with uh, the type of guests she have, her penetrating questions, and her openness, she really j helps generate uh, awareness for a lot of the issues that um, that some people would call alternative. I call them things that we really need to know because there's so much of a narrative nowadays where, you know, we get with the, the, the media, let's face it, it's owned by big corporations. And if you turn on Fox or CNN or whatever, they're covering the same stories, basically, from a different perspective. And that's it. You, we don't get like, hey, what's going on with the food supply or what's going on with the real ins and outs of climate change and all of that. So it's really important to hear from the experts and the trailblazers out there. Those are the real heroes. And so that's one of the reasons why I asked Hillary to come on the show and and uh, she is a, a hero to me in the work she's done. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Hillary Ramo. Oh, hi, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be back in the air with you. Thank you. 
You know, it's interesting as an interviewer, and I had mentioned this to Hillary earlier, but I'm going to say it on air because, you know, when you interview people, you know, sometimes they have a book about it's either a novel or it's a how-to book or something, and you get into the book and you get into the, the personal. Hillary's book is a series of transcripts of her fantastic interviews that she's done over the years. Hillary's interviewed so many wonderful people, it's hard, hard to decide. Do you talk, do you ask about more about Hillary or about the guests or about the guest's point of view? Because a lot of times you interview somebody and you give them a forum and you create a awareness for them and you help our audience which are seekers learn more and make their own decisions but um you have to be careful not to blend them all in because i don't agree with everybody who's on my show though i respect them and i'm sure uh hillary with all these interesting people and they have some really provocative ideas she does a great job in getting the information out there but not really taking sides so here we are let's uh, start with who i think is a fantastically fascinating person and that's david ike that you've interviewed and he's a uh, a british uh uh thinker i guess alternative thinker and he reports on kind of uh, uh my take on it and i've seen him on on uh, on air many times about the uh the bloodlines uh being similar for the elite who are running things now as they have been in the past all the way through history what what was your experience with David? Well, I, let me just give a little context to this. I started my radio career on WVK2, 1240 AM Terrestrial Talk Radio, uh, back in 2005. And I was on there for three years, and then I moved over to Achieve Radio online because back then that's when everybody was starting to do that. So it made more sense. And um, at the time, I was working alongside my spiritual teacher, and she had recommended that I read David Icke's books. And I said, oh, sure, sounds like a great thing. And I've told this story before, so this isn't something new. But I had, but maybe for the people listening now it is. Yeah. So I, I went out and, and read all his books at the time. Now, this was back in about 2005 or so. So at that point, I read his full body of work. Well, to say the least, it was quite shocking to my comfort zones and my comfortable world that I was living in. And mm. <laughs> I thought I had it all sure. figured out. Um, but I wouldn't probably have continued through his work had I not been referred to his work by the person that had referred me. So it spurred me on to continue because I felt like there was some kind of needle in the haystack, so to speak, and I was there to find it, and I certainly felt like I did at the time. He's not just known for the bloodline theory because the bloodline theory is part of what I would consider alternative media. In your introduction, you introduced me as kind of a new media person. I would have to disagree with that. Okay. Um, and, and respectfully, because sure. I consider myself an old-time alternative media voice. Okay, okay. Because, uh, you know, I wasn't on the mainstream channels, and I wasn't doing all the talk show circuits that all the mainstream people do. So there became a split, really, I think probably much prior to the time I came on the air. But when I came on the air, I was part of that split on the other side, so to speak, where I was giving information out to my audiences in hopes to offer alternative perspectives to mm -hmm. many common themes or, or topics or whatever. So there I was doing this and, and reading David Icke's work. And actually, I decided that because of David's, I, David's work, I was going to start a radio show. So I did. And... Um, you know, my first couple shows were, were really just talk shows with myself. It was more monologues than anything. And then when I switched over to Achieve Radio, I started to interview people. So for a few years, I did just talk, ramble on and on for a period of time for people to hear. 
and I would give my opinion on different things and and uh, especially things that were known for doing at the time, like Reiki healing or um, consciousness work and stuff like that. So I was doing a lot of healing topics at that time. And then, of course, over the years, my, my work morphed into some conspiracy theories and whistleblowers and mm-hmm. some common theme things that were running pretty rampant through alternative media. So when David Icke, um, his work entered my life, I really made the decision that I needed to open up a platform to do so. So he was he was the impetus behind, the catalyst, if you will, behind me doing a radio show because I felt very strongly that what he was talking about was important. But what he was really talking about, Robert, was things okay. that we're dealing with now. Flu shot agendas, microchip agendas, the the progression of nano and biotechnology and the and the things we should be worried about. He talked about healing, he talked about consciousness, and he talked about how other dimensions around us interact and affect us. And a lot of people are talking about that same thing. A lot of people with a lot more scientific background, big letters after their name, much bigger audiences. And when I found David's work, he could barely fill a room with 40 people. Now he sells out worldwide. Yes. So we're talking about the progression of somebody who has done a tremendous amount of work over the course of multiple decades. And, um, you know, I even started to read some of his source books because I found some of his topics so unbelievable that I really just wanted to know more. So I would start reading some of his source books as well. And so I was very educated in some of the things he was talking about. And most people now just get stuck on, oh, he's the lizard guy. He's the guy that says we're all reptilians. Mm -hmm. Well, let me say something. Please. I have never seen one. Okay. Uh, But I can certainly understand the reptilian form of energy. Some people might say Trump holds that as a, as a good example. Some people might say, you know, their ex-partner holds a great example of that. So, I mean, it can be as, as collective or as personal as you want it. I could certainly as a Reiki master teacher understand what that meant as an energetic personality, if you will, but I've never seen anybody turn into a lizard and crawl across the floor and up the wall and out the window, right? I've just never seen Mm -hmm. it. It's not in my experience. David stopped talking a lot about that as he moved on and progressed through the years. He kind of tried to move away from that, I think, because people would just focus on that. Yeah, because it's provocative. Well, it's provocative, but it also helps to discredit him instantly, so you dismiss whatever else he talks about. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, God knows there's plenty of experts out there who can distort things and, and do a lot of damage that way. So I think, I think in, on his behalf, a lot of people have gone at him trying to destroy his credibility and t- trying to right. really just, you know, wipe him off the, the table of <laughs> people you shouldn't be reading. But, but his work really is substantial, and, and we do owe him a thank you because – he really was putting together the dots with certain things that we're facing now. Water contamination, mm-hmm. you know, uh, important environmental damage. He was talking about the flu shot agendas way back in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. And, you know, here we are 2019 and we're dealing with major repercussions of certain agendas that, you know, he did warn us about years ago. So I want to start off by telling listeners, don't just judge a book by its cover ever. We know better. I think so. So we have to really remember that each person, we, we need to listen for a little bit and then make a decision. So, you know, read through his books or read through the chapter in my book 
and get a little taste of what his work is about. And then if you, if it calls to you, for God's sake, go out and read it. Okay, let's just touch on uh, the, the idea of um, some people, maybe David is a whistleblower, maybe not. But is it possible that, I keep thinking when I watch some of the shows on Gaia and listen to somebody like uh, David Icke, um, that are they, you know, if they were really disclosing, if you will, couldn't they be controlled also? In other words, we're going to use you as a... Uh, a mouthpiece to get this amount of information out there. Because otherwise, if they're not supposed to be talking about certain things and they're talking about it, I mean, they could be wiped out, snap, and it happens uh, frequently. So the ones that are, who are out there and who are uh, creating awareness of some of these issues that we need to know about or some disclosures items, uh, do you think, Hillary, that uh, they are... I don't want to say program, but being basically managed in terms of you're, you're allowed to get this information out there or we want this information out there, but you only can go this far. Well, when I first started in 2005, it was very different than it is now. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that over the years, over the course of my radio career, I watched the disintegration of integrity in the alternative media industry. Mm -hmm. And I was very dis disappointed that a lot of it was going in the direction that it was going. And, and really, all at, at certain points, it seemed to matter was what one or two shows would say. And then that information was just simply regurgitated out through hundreds and hundreds of different alternative media channels. So if you look at what's happening to Alex Jones right now, now he's made national headlines. So has Roger Stone, who right. booked Donald Trump onto the Alex Jones show. Mm -hmm. um, because he, at the time, he had the most numbers. He had the greatest platform, the biggest, you know, he was reaching the most people. So it was beneficial to the Trump campaign to go on to that show to speak the anti-conspiratorial talk to people, such as anti-Clinton talk, all this. I wrote a, I wrote a mm -hmm. book proposal about this for Cambridge University in 2016 during the campaign. So my take on this book was, well, let's take a look at what's happening right now. You have a presidential candidate going on to an alternative media show to speak to an audience of millions and millions of listeners to tell them exactly really what they're primed and programmed and ready to hear. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that had happened over the course of many years because Alex chose a very specific delivery of his information, um, which not everybody likes or agrees with or, or can tolerate, but many, many people liked it. Because let's face it, a lot of people prefer to jump on the drama wagon. Right. Okay. Then, <laughs> then, the, mm -hmm. then, then most other wagons. So here we had this interesting situation conspire, and most people say, "Oh, Alex Jones is a government agent. I have lots of proof of that." And blah blah blah. But I've never seen a mainstream headline come out and say Alex Jones is a government agent. I've only seen blog posts, or I've seen podcasts or YouTube videos suggesting the information, but I have never seen a really good source come from that. And you really can't trust anything these days. Anything can be manipulated online. The digital age has brought us the wild, wild west as far as opportunity goes for many years, but now it's also bringing us the opportunity for very, very strictly and tightly controlled digital infrastructures, which you'll start seeing pop up in smart cities around you soon. Um, well, that said, David Icke's work really was instrumental in opening up all these different subjects and cross-referencing them in ways I had never seen before, which was so interesting, in fact, that it just made so much sense. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. 
So once you start to see what's going on with all these things, these program things and how different media outlets are acting, even now you can analyze the mainstream ones really well based on their political stance and you can start to see what's going on. People being programmed by other people, you know, I mean, it happens pretty much everywhere. People have to learn to stand on their own two feet when it comes to owning their perspective, being grounded in their own opinion and being able to effectively share that without having to convince other people to believe the same thing. I mean, we're just a, we're a culture bred through competition and being right and debating and arguing and fighting and, and so on and so forth. I mean, if you sit anybody down and have an intelligent conversation about any topic, it's usually a great show. But for networks like Gaia and all that, what happened out of alternative media were kind of the same kind of structures that mainstream media have with the same kind of control structures, the same kind of personality egos, and the same kind of capitalism agendas that, you know, big corporations have. So I haven't really seen anybody step up to the plate yet. I left the industry in 2017 because I was so sick of it. You couldn't tell who was telling the truth. Everybody mm-hmm. was sabotaging everybody behind their back. And it was turning into a, you know, a modern day soap opera. Really, it was sad. Because I saw a lot of talent go down the drain. I saw a lot of people who had a lot of potential with uh, you know, show content or, or book content or whatever it was that they had researched and, quote, discovered really needing a platform to come out and talk about their information. So so alternative media provided that for many people uh, that otherwise would have just never had that opportunity. So we were able to deliver lots of material, lots of content, because the rules on the Internet weren't as they are today. And there's there's no content erasing going on back then, So so we think. And we have all these interesting little dynamics popping up. And, and at the end of the day, the audience is asked, what do you believe? Who do you believe? Who do you follow? Who's your guru? Who are, who's the one that you're going to go pay lots and lots of money to uh, follow around the country and take all their workshops and, and memorize their teachings? God, I was so glad to leave that. <laughs> <laughs> because it was disheartening to see people just show up and give away their power to whether it was a radio personality or a show personality or a guru personality or a researcher personality. I mean, take your pick. There's so many you can choose from. And what gets lost is the good work. And that's the sad part. The good work gets lost because some of this stuff is true. And some of this stuff really needs to be discussed. And some of these perspectives are really important for people to put the lid on that and you take away the choice of perspective and you control the information, then you slowly trickles down into, uh, you know, one or two or three or a handful of um, options to, to believe in. And that's it. So you, 9-11 is a perfect example of that. So what I saw happening was the same people going to the conferences, the conference producers were right. only inviting the same people over and over and over again, and maybe their entourage or their buddy for the year, right? So mm-hmm. it, it just became, it became a, a, a pony show. It was just like a, a horse and pony show, you know, Got who it. can parade around the next with the most likes and the most book sales and the most this. And those are the people we should only really listen to. And I think that's just the crock. Okay. Very good. Good. Great answer. Um, uh, speaking of uh, the good stuff, um, your book, you interviewed, uh, obviously, David Icke. 
David Lewis Anderson on time travel, Dr. Judy Wood on 9-11, Robert Breval on Trump, uh, Jerusalem and the Crusades, uh, Jim Mars, uh, and, and a lot has happened uh, since uh, on and on. Uh, Hillary Carter, Stewart, trustee, Wayne Madsen, Chad Marlowe. Um, a lot has happened in the time that uh, you made these interview, had these interviews, and uh, the book came out. Do you find anything looking back now? Uh, does any one of these issues stand out as to like, wow, this really went the way I thought it would go, or wow, this has really gone in a different direction, or this is something that we really need to have more focus on? Well, when I pick the chapters in the book, uh, I pick the chapters in the book based on what we were facing right now, so it would be okay. relevant to the reader. So everybody in the book, I feel, is a topic that does exactly what you just said, basically. Got it. Is it, is it gives us an, an opportunity to have a valuable piece of hindsight into the beginnings of something that then grew into something else. So what was somebody saying about it 10 years ago? Why does it matter now? Well, mm-hmm. if you go read the book and you look through the information and then you research some of that information, fast forward you come to where we're at as far as the industry growth has, and you can sometimes see very clearly a different agenda than you would if you didn't have this. The reason I wrote this book was so that nobody can delete it online. Right. Mm-hmm. It's safe content now. Excellent. Um, well, one, one item here that is really uh, taken off, I guess, is, uh, is Bitcoin. And I don't think a lot of people, including myself, really have a great grasp of it because it seems very elusive. Yet the other day I was going to buy something from uh, – overseas in the UK, I believe, and it had the different forms of payment. And, and it was the first time I saw it and it said Bitcoin and I, I didn't even know what to do. So for the benefit of our uh, listeners, could you explain us a little bit what to us a little bit? What what do our listeners need to know about Bitcoin and what's the latest on it? Well, I, you know, back in 2014, when I interviewed Stuart Trustee, who was the CEO of WorldBit.com now, um, he was the chief technologist of Alibaba in, in Asia, which mm-hmm. if anybody who knows what that company is knows that's a big deal. So um, when I interviewed him, I was very interested in what he was what was going on with the cryptocurrencies because it was kind of right in the middle of this big surge that we were experiencing with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was making a lot of people a lot of money. And it was just growing at rates that we had never seen before. It was a really fantastic thing to observe. And then sure enough, you know, a couple of years ago, it crashed. And it really hasn't regained right. anything. And my own personal opinion on that is because the big banks got involved and they decided to crash it, much through the same way that the supposed Russians got onto social media and crashed the election. So, I mean, we have this this ability to hijacked, you know, the online world so that we can sway opinion if you know how to do that. Interestingly enough, I have to add this as a side note, um, in this whole Russian probe thing, I was just reading an article two days ago where they had arrested 12 hackers in Russia, but we have seen none of that ripple across the news. None of that is rippled. Who are they? What were they doing? Mm -hmm. How did they break into the services? How, you know, because Edward Snowden did go to Russia after he left, you know, the United States. So in my book, I interview Wade Madsen, and he talks about uh, the, uh, the, the whole atmosphere of this digital invasive world. And then we have cryptocurrency. What do the two have to do with any, you know, each other? Well, a lot, because cryptocurrency offers an infrastructure for a financial system that is actually, you know, if you get down to the blockchain technology, very useful. 
Um, it's just that it eliminates the usury that's been happening for, and the money that the banks have been making on people, which maybe it needs to go, right? Maybe the mm-hmm. bankers don't need to make zillions of dollars every year while we live in the current climates that we do. So perhaps this is an industry we really need to rethink about. So Bitcoin offered uh, a different model and Bitcoin offered blockchain and blockchain technology, I think, is where we're really going to see big changes because if you start to implement blockchain technology into the digitized healthcare system, if you introduce blockchain technology into the educational system, if you introduce it into the IRS system, you start to see a very interesting picture forming of a digital infrastructure that will make everybody accountable for every little piece of corruption that you could possibly imagine. Who would be against that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Think about, about it. That's mm-hmm. a big question. Who would be against corruption being uh, documented indefinitely without any any way of uh, deleting that or getting that out of the system? Blockchain basically is a ledger. And what ledgers do is they keep track of things. Right. So, you know, where do I see Bitcoin? I see Bitcoin as kind of a test. It was a test of... Let's see how this will work. We'll make some people a lot of money. And then, you know, it got too much attention and too many people were making money and using the money for other things and what people wanted billionaires to spend their money on. And, and it started to change the world a little bit and it got shut down. Okay. Um, let's talk about, if you, if you don't mind, AI a little bit and nanotechnology, because I, 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 there's a lot of, if you look at even a lot of the advertising now, it's like, go, go AI. And a lot of people think, and it will uh, rationalize that this is going to make our lives so much better. And it's going to take a lot of the drudgery work out of the way. And you don't have to worry because you program the AI and that's it. And, but when, when you start talking about things like transhumanism and replacing the biology with technology, at a certain point, the question is begged is, why do we need the biology if the technology can do such a better job? I know the kind of the wild card is consciousness. But what, what are your thoughts, uh, Hillary, as, as a thinker and a, and a forefront and uh, somebody who's at the forefront of thinking uh, about issues like this? Uh, what, what are your feelings about AI risks and rewards? Well, it's artificial intelligence, which means that usually it won't be used beyond the capacities of whatever the programmers it's implementing will want it to go. So if the programmers want it to go to a certain point, then they'll program it to go to that point. If they learn how to go past certain points, they will make it go past those certain points. Um, I was recently in the UK with Tom Campbell, who wrote a great book called My Big Toe. It's a trilogy. You can buy it in one big book, about seven, 800 pages if you want. I highly recommend it. Um, he's a former NASA nuclear physicist who talks about consciousness. And his whole model of reality is based in a digital uh, setting. So the way he talks about consciousness or meditation or out-of-body experience of those things, of those sorts, he talks about it in the sense of being a digital experience, which when I first found his work about 10 years ago, him and I were cast members in a documentary called The Path Afterlife. And that's where I met Tom. So I first found out about his work then and I, I was at the time was a Reiki healer and I was just getting into, you know, certain pockets of my healing work and doing radio and stuff. So I had my, my perspective, my point of view was pretty, pretty there and didn't quite resonate with it until now. Mm 
And, you know, what's changed between then and now is my experience and my knowledge of the digital age and where we're going with digital items and devices and thoughts and AI and all this. And it makes perfect sense now because I can relate to the information because we're a little further along in the digital age. So, you know, AI is never going to replace a human. It might, it might do certain things that humans struggle or haven't yet learned to do, or maybe it'll try to um, copy a human that can do something really well. But until we add the consciousness aspect, and I'm not a computer expert, I'm just an intuitive. I read this stuff intuitively. So when I look at the, all of these topics, and, and I, my opinion gets asked a lot, I guess I must be good at it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I see things happening uh, in a very big way. And with AI, what we're looking at with these smart cities coming in, Spectrum is right. a private industry in the United States that now does the majority of New York where I live. Right. Our mm-hmm. um, internet service is all 5G. And so yeah. this year, mm-hmm. 5G is really... Right being like introduced to the world in big ways. And we don't know the consequences of being exposed to the wavelengths that the 5G operates on. We do not know the biological effects. And I don't know about you, but nobody asked me if they had permission to put me into the rat study. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So anybody listening, if you have a problem with these technologies being put into place without your permission without your knowledge and without truly knowing the consequences, I believe we all have a right to speak up no matter who our leadership is. And we need to, we need to speak up very loudly. We need to make a big deal about this because, you know, yes, it might make our lives more convenient and the younger generations are growing up, not knowing what it's like to have a cell phone in their hand, not knowing what it's like to be able to touch screen something or speak out loud and have your groceries delivered. I mean, that's the world we're moving into, but we're also moving into the world of digital voice recognition, social credit scores like China and what they're implementing. Which is scary. Well, it's, you know, usually it moves west. So you you look at what happens in England or the UK, you know, a lot of these people that were protesting in Europe over the last couple of years that were considered terrorists, what were they protesting? Did we ever find out? Anybody ever update us on, on what these people are protesting? We really don't ever hear the other side of the story. And, and uh, you know, it has been speculated that a lot of it has to do with protesting these surveillance technologies that are coming in to, quote, fight terrorism and to make us all one big digital database so we can just be managed and sold better products to, which is really what it comes down to. You kind of moved away from the industry uh, because of what was happening with the industry itself. What are the ways then that the consumer can get the information they need to stay informed? Because if you look at the major networks, they all cover the same stories from, you know, one side or the other. Uh, where do you get, and, and Alex Jones is pretty far down the rabbit hole for a lot of people. Where can today's people find information they need to find? Well, that's a really good question. Because on the agenda of one of the World Economics Forum is to have the tech leaders police content online. So what we've looked at is a systematic breakdown, crackdown, whatever you want to call it, on content. 
And they're doing it by labeling people like Alex Jones or other, you know, mainstream media. Oh, you're lefty, you're righty, you're this, you're that. Right. And they're turning it all into quite a circus because, you know, you have to create a problem to create a solution. So one of the solutions will be, well, we're not going to allow this kind of content online anymore because it's not demo- it's not uh, democratic. It's not uh, it's it's not good for the world. It's not this. It's not that. You're gonna have a million reasons why. But you know, like I said with my book, you know, I put these into print and I published mm-hmm. it myself so that the content right. can never mm-hmm. be changed. Got it. You can't quite say that for other things, and that's right. why I bring it back up is because you can't quite say that for uh, the YouTube videos that were popular ten years ago that were helping people through these things. So you're right. Where do people go? It's a great question. You go to do you, do you go to the corporate owned YouTube who has been censoring content hardcore for the last ten years and one of the reasons why I barely use the platform anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you go to social media and get flagged for hate speech or right. you know not following community standards and then you know you have to deal with that and your algorithms put you into the no fly zone over there. That's right. It's like. We really don't know where to go to get information anymore. You could try books, but who likes to read anymore? Exactly. So I don't know how to answer that question, except that it's a good question, and many people should be asking, what's going to happen to content when it's gone? You're a healer. I'm actually a Reiki master healer, uh, a Reiki master uh, teacher also, as as well as an advanced clinical master hypnotist. Um, I I don't use those two skills too often. Uh, This weekend I used it a lot because my family was under the weather. But um, what's your sense as to what's going on with uh, quote-unquote alternative healing? Uh, Any any changes, any updates? Uh, I think it's incredibly important that people uh, look beyond strictly Western medical solutions. I think Western medicine is fantastic in a lot of ways. They, if robotic surgery, things like that, if you need it, the skill set is unbelievable there. I had it myself, but I also afterwards made sure I went through an Ayurvedic uh, protocol because I wanted to do something uh, preventative for the future because you have to take care of your own environment. And in this country, uh, so much is like after the fact. You get sick, it's like you bring your car in. You got to get your pistons changed or something. You go into the hospital, okay, you're either going to get something to suppress the pain or you're going to get something taken out. Uh, it's just the nature of the beast. But it, that, that beast in that way works. Alternative medicine um, and Ayurvedic, uh, you know, is more, I think they're more uh, copacetic in terms of being more uh, about preventative and wellness. I'm finding that more and more people are understanding this. I don't know if that many people are doing that much about it because at the same time, as people are getting the awareness, we're also, the food supply hasn't changed. So much of the uh, GMO food being pushed on us, um, what, what, what should people do? What do you see, see that's happening in terms of uh, Reiki and things like that, in terms of getting more mainstream, et cetera? Great. Well, you know, Reiki's, Reiki has been around for a while. It's been around for at least, you know, a couple, few decades. And right. a lot of people have been doing a lot of great work with it. And now you can go to, into pretty much any hospital, uh, right. at least in this country, and ask yeah. for it in the form of cl- complementary care. And I did that. Um, I think this is a good time to bring up also, you know, medical marijuana and the, and the yes. progressions that we're making in that industry as well. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that at the end of the show towards, you know, because here we are, right? We're here and we're on the, the cusp of big changes and, and we're all watching 
this big transition happen and some of us feel really helpless about it and some of us feel really empowered by it and others are indifferent to it, but here we are and we're all going through it together. So what what one policy we might think doesn't affect us until actually we need it. And healthcare has been a big concern and we have a for-profit system. So we're really not going to see a lot of endorsements for uh, things that won't make you a lot of money. I, I tend to think that if this was... Uh, reverse a little bit and what would be considered traditional medicine would be considered old indigenous like plant medicine right. Mm-hmm. medicine right you know um alternative this is another way of saying well word, we quite yeah. haven't recognized mm-hmm. you as legit yet right <laughs> mm-hmm. and we probably won't so you have a system that has systematically suppressed ancient knowledge, ancient healing knowledge that was working for God knows how long before we came around with our quote system. And if you look at our system now, a lot of the contamination in our planet from unregulated industry, mostly chemical, has really seeped and gotten heavily into all of our bodies. Um, I was just watching the Devil We the Devil We Know documentary on Netflix the other day. And it talked about uh, DuPont and its C8 chemical, the Teflon chemical, the one we all heard about 20 years ago that we mm-hmm. shouldn't hook on anymore, right? Well, now they've done blood tests across the world as of 2017, I believe it, they said, or 2018, recent. Every person on the planet that they tested, the group population that they tested, every single one of them 100% tested positive for C8 poisoning. Just different degrees. Mm-hmm. So the chemicals floating around in all of our bodies and we're exposed to all these environmental things that really didn't have to happen. And the way our systems are set up, the insurance system, the the uh, healthcare system, the way everything is set up, you're just asking for it. It's It's not something that's sustainable long term. Really, it's not. You can't put people on medicine for their whole life and expect that medicine not to have an effect. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a negative effect, and, and many of them have negative effects over long courses of time. So we're dealing with pharmaceutical companies that acknowledge the power of traditional old wise medicine. They just take some of those recipes and reformulate them into right. patented pills that they make billions of dollars off of. So many of the pharmaceutical companies know the healing benefits of plants, especially cannabis especially other things that, you know, indigenous healers have used in their communities for eons. Right. So what's the big secret? Mm -hmm. Well, the big secret is they don't really want you to heal 100% because that takes you off their money-making factories. Right. You know, if you can get them, I think think the goal, if I read somewhere correctly, if I remember this correctly, the goal was to have every, every human being on at least six medications throughout their life. I mean... To that's us, crazy. that's appalling. Maybe, maybe to some people listening, Robert, that might be like, well, you know, that's a good thing. And medicine has saved people and medicine has helped, you know, my friend or my family member. And it's a good thing. And thank God it's there. Well, in some cases, this is true. So how do we then explain the ridiculous costs of these medicines and the ridiculous side effects and the addiction aspects? You know, if you look at the opioid crisis going on in this country, <laughs> It is not the fault of dealers. 
It is the fault of the hospital systems who put these people onto these drugs and gave them no other alternative. That's right. Period. Hospitals, doctors, medical systems. So instead of going into holistic medicine where it treats the entire body, the full spectrum of the human body, which includes your energy, your spirit, your biological, your emotional, your intellectual, I mean, all the different facets of what makes you, you, instead of including all of that holistically, we look at people see, and we see them be put onto just the symptom controlling, the symptom controllers. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, one good thing I think out of our discussion out of many is that uh, people now know that if you go into the hospital and you're going to get any type of treatment, I did this myself. I had robotic surgery about five years ago and I, I knew I'd done my research that they had a Reiki master on hand who would come in if somebody requested. And I did that and I had to go through a little jump through a hoop here or there, but nothing much. And I got that and I got the treatment directly after my surgery and it made a huge difference. And uh, more and more staff are learning Reiki. More and more nurses are becoming aware of it. But there's so much else in the medical system where, you know, you go to the hospitals and the food supply is like, what? They give you like sugar, sugar-laden stuff or things are full of salt. I mean, the, the food is terrible. Um, it's just you have to, I think what people need to know is they have to take a very active role in their own wellness you can't rely on you know, your doctors. Your doctors will take care of you if you get sick. But in the meantime, you better be doing what you need to do to keep yourself healthy. Um, I want to switch uh, subjects, if we may, uh, to uh, masculinity and men and the death of patriarchy, as I, I like to call it. Because I think what's happening now is, uh, and I think, I think Trump is representative of this, like him or dislike him, and go you know, make America great again. A lot of it is... I think a lot of folks want to hold on to that old patriarchal model because they're afraid of what might happen. And I think a lot of men, and I, inter- I, I interview a lot of male uh, experts talking about men, a lot of females talking about men and dating and relationships and all of that. And uh, I, I am been actually very surprised at how uh, some of the guys get it. And a lot of the guys are uh, angry and uh, there's a lot of pushback out there. I know this uh, Gillette ad came out recently, and a lot of people were uh, uh, really pro the ad, and a lot of guys were very against it. Personally, I was like, I love the message, but I don't need to be, I don't need this embedded in, you know, if you're trying to sell me razor blades because you can't sell to millennials, like, let's, let's build a men's program. It's the, it was the forum that I didn't like, but I thought the message was great. But a lot of guys take it like, you know, we're all bad. What are you doing? And it, there has been this quote unquote perceived war on men. But I, I think men have to realize that this patriarchal model is, is coming to a close and it's going to be a good thing. W- what are your thoughts, Hillary? Well, I think everybody is chasing the father. They don't want to lose the father figure that right. they've had, right? So there's a little bit of codependence there, but I think that they, they have a right to be mad. I, I, th- I think what we're doing is really we're, we're giving the guys a hard time and we, we, you know, the ones that are, that are doing things wrong need to be called out on it. And I think we've mm-hmm. seen that over the last couple of years, but it's not, a, it's not a prescription for how to treat every single man ever. Right, exactly. Okay, so we have to give our brothers, you know, and our, our, the men in our life and our sons and, and we have to give them the support that they need. They have to understand 
who they are. And I think our culture is really bad at giving them guidance into, into how they need to be men. It's like we, we have sort of lost our way with being mentors to, um, you know, the, you talk about the millennials, but what if the, the older generations would turn around and be mentors to the younger generations? They might realize there was life before the cell phone. Yep. Oh, my God, right? So mm-hmm. we have to remember that it's really important for us to consider that as we grow up, as we age and we move from one stage to the next, and we accept our roles as elders, we accept our roles as mentors, but when we're younger, we also have to be open and accepting to those role models coming into our lives and to allowing their wisdom to come into our experience, and whether we're going to accept it or not is something we choose, but at least allow the opportunity to happen, have a conversation you know, with a younger person or with an older person. And, and get the generational perspective and see where you may be lacking in some things that you might see. So and I think if we took more time to get to know each other, we would actually have a much better experience. I'm of the belief that, you know, usually a conversation can help grow a lot of beautiful ideas. And, you know, the, the models that we see set up in society sometimes aren't just are just not efficient. Mm-hmm. And we need to have better uh, decisions and better opportunities and better better material as far as <clears throat> being able to choose from uh, a bunch of different things you know having choice and variety and and how now it's it's never just one way or the highway and I right. think a lot of times older generations are a little less patient than they should be with the younger generations because they should be allowed to have a voice and an opinion because so many of them have grown up so quickly and so much quicker with so much more um, zest, I think, because they're, they're able to access so much more information. It, it evolves their consciousness mm-hmm. faster than when most of the, el- the, the elderly did when they were that age because they didn't have the digital age. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. And my, I, I think, you know, guys have to realize it's not that it's not going to be like men are out and women are in. And for women, they need to realize like men aren't out and you're in and that's it. It's it, you, we just have to go with the flow a little bit. You know, things can change, but it's not it doesn't have to be a bad thing if we have a dialogue and we keep the communication lines open. And if you're a good man, there's never been a better time to be a man. I like to say that this is this is a time where men can be whoever they want to be, even though it's less clear who men really are right now. So it's a, we're on a little bit of a different track than the women who are on a straight straight trajectory of uh, achievement and long overdue recognition. Men are a little bit in the crosshairs as to who they are and what they are and what they need to do. And to me, that's an opportunity. If you're a good man and you're open-minded and you treat yourself with respect and treat others with respect, you're going to be just fine. And, you know, there are some bad actors quote-unquote actors out there, and uh, we'll just have to just take a step back. You don't have to react to Me Too in a negative way. Just listen. Just listen. And I think if both sides, women and men, and we all listen, uh, we'll have a better world. So, um, Hillary, we're running out of time, and you're so fascinating and so kind to be on the show. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and where we can find more about you. Sure. I'm actually coming to the West Coast on February 27th. 
for the Cannabis Nurses Network Conference in San Diego. I will be a keynote speaker there. I will be talking about the Voynich Manuscript and how ancient remedies are coming forth now in wonderful and fabulous ways. And I'll be sharing my thoughts on cannabis Reiki, which is something I'm going to be starting to teach this year. Surprise! Love it. it. So um, you can catch me there. You can go to my website, HillaryRamo.com. I'm also doing a megalithic tour in October with Maria Wheatley. Her and I are writing a book together on megalithic America. And we will be taking a group of people around the northeastern United States in October to visit several sites here, and then eventually we'll be going to other places around the country. Um, so you can go to my website and find your way to all that good stuff. And uh, my book's available on Amazon, Amazon UK, Barnes & Noble, and Lulu. Okay, great. And the name of the book is The Hillary Ramo Show Transcripts. Hillary Ramo, you are my inspiration, and uh, I want to follow in your footsteps of doing great radio, and thank you for all your uh, tutelage of me and your support and for being on the show again. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Robert, and good luck with everything. Okay, you too. Be well. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. All right, we're back on Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. Wow, that was a great conversation with Hillary Ramo. I have so much respect for her as a, a human being, as a, as a broadcaster, a kind of investigative journalist, if you will, uh, and also as an artist. She's just a fantastic person, so I'm so glad she could be back on Guys Guys Radio, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. This is Guys Guys Radio, the place where, where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins. It all started with my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's been called The Male Sex in the City. It's a rom-com. You can pick it up on Amazon or any of the e-tailers, the physical book or the e-copy. Uh, my blog is at robertmanny.com, M-A-N-N-I. There's over 350 uh, blog post there on life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. You can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, KCAA. Every Wednesday night, we're here, 8 p.m. Pacific time, 106.5, 102.3, 50 a.m. We're also on TuneIn, Stitcher, Spreaker, Block Talk Radio, iHeart Radio now, nationwide, and iTunes. And iTunes, I would ask if you could uh, rate us and review us and subscribe, because every positive word we get helps us keep going and doing the show, and the show is for you to bring you ideas and people and thinking, uh, things for you to consider to hopefully make your life and your life choices the best they can be. So this is Guys Guys Radio. Thanks so much for listening. We're back next week on KCAA at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Until then, as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>